anybody hear me? Okay, I'm here. Ah, there you are. Sorry. Oh, no worries. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Jaime? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Good to see you. Same here. Yeah, ready for round two? It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And actually, it was funny. It was longer than I remembered. You know? Yeah, I mean, time is a weird thing for me right now. It just seems to go, 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 and uh, I, I don't like it. And I think social media is a thing, though. I think it makes time go faster. That's just my my impression yeah. of it. But yeah. uh, it's really good to see you, nonetheless. And I'm really excited to talk to you. So, since we last talked, how's everything been for you? Well, in general, good, but stressful. Mm. Oh. And in fact, we just had some dogs enter the room. You had the cat on the keyboard the last time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, no, it's been good. For a little bit of context, could you tell me just the, the Cliff's Notes on the book, uh, the name of the book and what your book is about? Nobody else can see this, of course, but I, I will show you this. This is the cover. Mm. The, the, the book is called Talk Smack to a Hurricane. It is a collection of poems about my mother's mental illness, the way it affected our relationship. I think the last time we talked, I already had the book contract, but I don't remember how far along it was. I think it was just in the very beginning stages. Yes, it was the very early beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is my first book of any sort, and it's about the view psychiatry has of women which i think needs improving and it is um also about anti-semitism my mom's side of the family is jewish i was raised jewish so faith and religion judaism christianity that's all really bound up in in my mother's the the expression of of her illness mm. whenever she had a breakdown the worse it got the more she talked about jesus hmm. i don't know what that's about i don't know why that is uh, there's a poem in here about jesus talking to her from the television when she was hospitalized and that's that's really true um hmm. she she always wanted to tell us stories and i I neither my father nor I wanted to hear these stories. I think we just wanted to pretend that that happened. We were there. We saw some of it. And let's get back to our real life, mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. though all of the sum is the real life. Well, this book is an exploration of the holes in my knowledge and my guesses at how they might be filled in. Some of it was, uh, you know, I, I dug into um, some personal history, but also some the history of psychiatry and asylums and those kinds of things. So the, the book is about all of those kinds of things. And it includes one poem that is uh, comprising, comprises just photos, no captions, but just six photos. And then there are eight poems that are erasure poems my mother wrote an eight-page letter the day after i was born and sent it to her parents after my mother died my dad gave me a packet of letters 
in that packet mm. was this letter. And for years, I wanted to do something with it. Finally figured out how to do an erasure. And so I, I changed, changed it so that in these eight pages, it gives the story of sort of the first few years of my parents' marriage and my life. Mm. And, um, and we've got that sort of in the center. It's almost like a book in a book. There have been a lot of surprises in the sense of things I didn't expect. I, mm. didn't, um, I didn't think about how it would feel to talk over and over again about the situation with my mother. And that was, that's been a stressor. I, I, I do welcome it, but uh, the other thing I didn't expect was that when, when you tell a story and it connects with somebody else's experience, they tell you that experience. Mm -hmm. So I've been glad to hear people's, uh, people's stories, and it's important. Um, the other day, I was at a, an author open house, and someone came up and when I mentioned what the book was about, the person looked stricken, hmm. a person in their early 20s, I think. And, and they shared what was going on with them and, and their parent and said, I, I don't know if I can read your book right now. But hmm. I had to offer a hug and I was really glad the person accepted because it just felt like whew, they needed some, a little grounding and a little support and, and some assurance mm -hmm. that you can get past a situation. So I was glad that I could offer that person some support and I hope a little hope. My desire with the book was that people would see how much love there was between my mother and me, even though there were all these difficulties. And everybody has said that's apparent and that they really feel the tenderness. So that's really gratifying. And I, I feel a lot of that is due to the shaping of the manuscript that that uh, the people at Iceflow helped me with, mm -hmm. and um, Robert, the editor in chief, said he he looks at manuscripts as a musical score, and mm -hmm. that's the way he arranges it. Well, there was a a picture that I really wanted to have in the book. I was really hoping it could be the cover, but the resolution of these, you know, nineteen. 60s photos it was just not good enough um but he managed to fit it in very small and he called it an intro and an outro and he oh, had it on the on the one of the front pages and one of the back pages and i thought that was just a lovely touch and and that's something other people have commented on so i, I um it's just been the whole thing has been great experience and all of a sudden i realize i'm not being very linear in the things i'm talking oh that's about. that's totally fine there's a lot of family history to cover and how timely too that you are talking about things that never seem to go out of fashion and that is in our i guess society's dialogues you have a lot of conversations about anti-semitism and and how a lot of that is happening right now as well as just women needing basic services. I mean, it's it's rampant. Is that something that affects the way that a book like this comes together? Or do you just have to shut it out and ignore it as you try to process a lot of emotional um, trauma, a lot of mm -hmm. a lot of background of your own life that mm -hmm. is 
difficult to carry into into a project. Mm-hmm. As I was writing this, it became more and more apparent to me that regardless of my perception of of the way I've been in the world, I, I I've been in a, a lot of situations where um, most of the decisions, you know, work situations, volunteer situations, uh, where the where the decisions were made by men. And I always felt like, man, I, I can keep, no, no pun intended, that I could just keep right, right up with, with these guys and, and almost felt it as a point of pride. And not that I, I faulted other women, but I just really didn't see where the discrimination against women or the, the, the misperceptions, the undervaluing, I, I didn't feel that towards myself as uh, as a woman in our society in writing this book though i'm finding that actually i did carry those ideas way deep inside and they weren't coming out i was i had started this project thinking of this as a personal issue and the more i wrote the more i i read to other people and heard uh, what other people said i i had uh, one man um who who had been a longtime friend said or asked me did i feel marginalized as a woman and i said well no not really but my poems sure sound like like i do and so i'm guessing then that yes a lot of this was internalized and and stuff deep enough i i didn't even name it or see it mm-hmm. As for the things relating to anti-Semitism, it's kind of the same way. And the irony of faith and denomination really is that when I was a kid, my mom loved to have the Christmas tree. My dad's side of the family is not Jewish. However, mom drove the, the holidays in the house and she always wanted a Christmas tree and a menorah. And at some point, I think I was about eight, I said, Ma, we just, Jews are not supposed to have Christmas trees. I was, I was one of these really rule-based little kids. And rules, that was my haven. And I wanted everybody to follow the rules. And so she, she gave in and we didn't do it anymore. Well, now I'm an adult. I actually go to church. The church I go to is very involved in social justice issues. Well, that's made me feel more and more Jewish. The mm-hmm. more anti-Semitism there is um, expressed in our, our larger society, I haven't felt it personally, but the more I see of it, the more I want to be Jewish and stand up. And, mm-hmm. and so, so I have to wonder how much of my own faith journey has been affected by anti-Semitism. Was I, was I afraid? Was I worried? I mean, as a kid in high school, Friday nights given over to a service, that's the fun yeah. night, you know? <laughs> so uh, it's a big part of my life. It's none of it looks or gets labeled the way I, I would have expected, but it's an ongoing thing. And I, I feel like I taught myself a lot of lessons by writing this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you recall when you were younger, if your parents experienced any kind of trouble because they they were married outside their faith? Like, was that mm-hmm. something that was 
that was an issue for them back then? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't know what, why my dad decided to follow my mom. He, he'd never converted, but when we went to temple, he, he wore a yarmulke. He took part in, in the prayers that he could. And I mean, they always, you know, gave dues to temple and stuff. I do know that we lived by either set of grandparents, partly for the support when my mom was gone. Mm -hmm. So my dad's family's from Wisconsin. My mom's family, well, when I was born, they were living in Louisiana. So we went back and forth. I I know, uh, I'm not sure, in Wisconsin, we lived in a town that was small enough it didn't have a Jewish congregation. So I remember we went to the Unitarian Church. I don't remember having any external symbols of <clears throat> being Jewish. When we moved to Baton Rouge, I remember we had a mezuzah on the door frame so people could see we were Jewish. But the only time I remember my mom being afraid was when my dad wanted to move from um, Baton Rouge, where we were living in is you know a big city to a much smaller town. Mm. And she was really worried because it was an area where the KKK oh. was mm -hmm. active. Wow. And and um she said, I don't even know if any Jewish people live there. Well they they moved anyway. I every time it was generally just, you know, kids out bashing mailboxes, but my mom was always sure. It was a uh, the KKK coming to harass them, mm -hmm. so she had a big fear. And and in her growing up, um, in her growing up, she faced a fair amount of discrimination. And also, there was one day she came home just crying from work. She worked at the motor vehicle department, and mm -hmm. I think my mom was really pretty. Well, at work she overheard a nearby conversation of somebody saying that Jewish women are never pretty. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure they were directing it at my mom, you know, and she certainly felt that I don't discount her feelings at all. And, um, and that was very upsetting for her. I don't even remember um, what got her to get up and go to work the next day, yeah. but, but she did. So, um, and I, I'm sure there was much more she didn't want to tell me. Yeah, I think parents want to do that as much as humanly possible is shield their kids from a lot of those difficulties. But uh, it seems that uh, she was able to continue and and not be completely overwhelmed by some of those mm -hmm. events that may have happened before. What kind of lessons do you think you have learned from from the book, you mentioned that you learned a lot of lessons, you know, in the preparation of the book and, and things like that. Could you share a little bit more on that? The biggest lesson, and I mentioned it in my acknowledgments um, in a note to my mother, is I realized by the time the book was done, the collection was finished, no more revising, I realized that my mother really had been there all along whenever I really needed her the times that were important she she was there she was present if i needed advice she gave advice and it was pretty much spot on and that 
is a really important realization. And if I, I if I have a day where I forget it, it's it was a strong enough realization I can pull it back. The other thing is that it uh, in in constructing the manuscript and the flow, I got a sense of the way life flows. The bad things generally aren't completely bad and mm -hmm. the good things aren't generally completely good and 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 that's a thing that always made me angry about Judaism it just felt like i always felt like we were being so there was this joy but then it was this sort of you know the breaking of the glass during a i i just thought why do we always in the midst of this joyfulness, why do we always have to remember the one thing that's not good, you know? And um, maybe that was just my experience in the congregation I grew up with. Maybe that's not a, a religious, religion-wide thing. But I, anyway, I. But now I'm thinking, you know. But that's that's how life life is. And and honestly, really, if the good was completely good then the bad would have to be completely bad, wouldn't it? I mean, that would make yeah. sense. So maybe maybe the one, you know, I mean, is so we stay compassionate for these other, whatever's going on that's not going, you know, it's not all about us. But in the other sense, we, it, it lets us look for hope. And so, or, and so that's the other thing that I got was to, that there are lots of places that I can look to find hope. So you mentioned that you did a bit of research trying to find the treatment of, of women during a certain period of time when your mom was going through a lot of difficult uh, mental health experiences. Was there something that really surprised you or what was that experience like? One of the things I found out was from way back, and that is that in in the 1800s they had all kinds of descriptions for um uh, diagnoses for women i there's a, a poem in the book where it mentions i mean somebody was hospitalized and the diagnosis was deceptive in her affections <laughs> what <laughs> i know oh my goodness they were these really nebulous things. And um, I wish I would have written down, I, I have the records in my computer and I did not write down the diagnosis that the men received. There was not a man who had deceptive in his affections. Okay. And I don't think anybody was hospitalized because maybe they left their family and went to seek their fortune, you know? <laughs> uh, the other thing is just the, um, the the way that um psychiatric diagnoses have been uh women seem far more likely to receive these diagnoses and and they're generally of the sort of nervous anxious kind mm -hmm. you know the woman you know the fainting couch the taking to her bed you know i mean and even um, I remember an across the street neighbor hearing that my mom was hospitalized and said, Oh, I wish I could have a nervous breakdown and get a vacation. Wow. 
Yeah. They didn't care back then. Good Lord. <laughs> they were just, I know. And, yeah. and, um, some of my, my feelings too, are, are that at the time, you know, in the sixties, there just weren't that many women who were psychiatrists and psychologists. Mm. And so these decisions were being made by, by men. And it, it was a time where, you know, people still talked about uppity women at this time that this, I guess, health science for not knowing what else to say, but as it's developing, it, the input in the development it, are all from men. The, the view is there's these assumptions made about what's, what would be good, what would be an improvement. Mm. And, and then there's the whole issue of there's been a great development in, in medication, for instance. Well, that's good, but is the greater good that somebody is um, docile? maybe they've lost this vibrancy but they're able to to be home and and clean and and be a body for when the kids come home from school so i i just feel like i feel like this this is some of these things are, are the opinions i formed after reading these different books and things and mm -hmm. and i have to say i'm sure you know other people m might not agree with me i'm sure some of it's just colored by um, my anger at, at the system. If this had happened at a different time period for my mother, she would not have been treated the same way. Mm -hmm. And there, she might still have had, you know, other, other issues. She said that it was um, years, maybe I was in my 40s, and she told me she thought it probably was postpartum depression, but she said they don't talk about it much then. Well, when I did my research, it, it was certainly a diagnosis. Maybe it was something new, and, and she was at a very tiny mm. hospital on an Air Force base, and maybe they just they had a brand new doctor then. I mean, maybe yeah. those, those were the things. Yeah, but some, something that wasn't well spread out in, in the ideology, I guess, of, of medical thought. So... In in this publication, obviously, it has a lot of different ideas that you're trying to share in this. Was there a moment where you felt like you wrote a piece that fully expressed what you wanted it to be, uh, that gave you an idea of what the rest of the collection was going to be when you were putting this together? Mm -hmm. I I wonder. I haven't ever really thought of it that way. Um, the thing is, is um, I, at some point, I thought, oh, maybe I have enough poems for a book. And so I started pulling, pulling the different uh, mama poems together. I, there were some that I wrote or changed to encapsulate what happened. I don't think that there was one that, that I wrote and went, ah, oh, this is it. Some of the poems that you might you might think that about were actually the ones that came later, like the one about the asylum records, or mm -hmm. um, a late joining poem was one I'd written about my mother's parents and how they met, and that's aspects of the book that deal with Jewishness or anti-Semitism. Those those poems were later, and it took a mm -hmm. bit to to see where that um, fit into the picture. Yeah. Because it seems like 
Yeah, the the way that you're describing it, it's almost as if you had a very effortless way of just getting the emotional stuff out into the work. And then when you step back, you realized these might be the other pieces that will make it fuller, that will complete it, right? Is that kind of how? Yeah, I, I would I would say so. I, you know, there was one poem in here called At the Other Hospital, and it's it's about um, my mother not being at a, a medical hospital versus a psychiatric hospital. And the reason I even wanted to write about that was because being in that room, my mother was really out of it after an injury and she was hallucinating. And she thought that the doctors were Nazi doctors. Mm. And that poem, I wouldn't say that it, it shaped the collection per se, but it somehow managed to encapsulate everything. And that was the crystal clear moment that I realized she loved me because she was defending me against the Nazis in her mind. And so that poem, I would, even though um, it doesn't describe the sequence of events, which some other poems do, it, it, it captures the emotion and the 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 factors that affected our relationship. Yeah. And I do think that's the thing that people gravitate to the most because you've been able to synthesize this kind of hurt, this kind of feeling of disconnection from from a loved one who is so important to you that I imagine when you strip away a lot of the thematic ideas of it, you still have this really strong core of emotion that people recognize. Like you were saying, that's why people want to come and talk to you about their experiences, because it's not about the, the specifics of, of what's happening in, in society, but rather those beautiful details of, I guess, emotional hurt or, or emotional connection, whatever it was mm -hmm. that have made the book successful, right? That people, people gravitate to. Do you feel like you'll be doing a lot more of that kind of touring to, or not touring necessarily, but just getting the word out uh, and connecting with folks that way? I, I hope so. This, since we talked last and the book came out, which, the book came out in September and I just have lucked into some different, um, um, events and readings and so i went to kansas city i was in tennessee i went back to baton rouge and did a reading there and and that that was great to be back there i drove by where our old synagogue was and ate beignets and i saw, <laughs> saw old friends from high school but drove by our old house um and and, and then in this next year i have more readings some not really scheduled till july and august mm. and um i it's enjoyable to get out and meet with people about it yeah was it difficult going back to your old stomping grounds like that uh when you were when you were doing that or do, does it not affect you in that way you know the funny thing is is I, I didn't i didn't even think about it when i agreed to the date it was um you know, a lot of these, it was a series and a lot of the series, they're going to meet, you know, the second Thursday, the third Sunday mm -hmm. and the date that was open that worked because that was when the book was coming out happened to be Rosh Hashanah. 
And so, and so, so none of the, none of my Jewish friends were there because they were all at services mm. or preparing mm. for them to make, making the evening meal, you know? Um, and so, um, I, I think I might've felt different about the event had they been there. Maybe I would have felt a little more exposed. What was interesting, having the two friends there from high school, they were my very close friends then. They did not have an idea. They had no clue that, that any of this was going on in our home. They were at our house. Mom would make us school lunches in high school and and you know, we'd prayed and go to different people's homes and their moms would make lunch. So being in Baton Rouge in and of itself, that didn't affect me. But um, it was interesting to to see that I, I I didn't realize I had sort of hid what was going on as much as I had. And I'm not sure if that was out of self-protection or shame or or what. Oh, that's fascinating. And with a book like this that digs up so much that that is mining a lot of uh, personal family relations, um, it can be pretty difficult to, to feel like you've seen the light of day through it all. Do you feel like you are done talking about this or is this something that you will continue to to talk about in some shape or form? Or was this book sort of the culmination of certain things for you? I was hoping the book was the culmination and I wouldn't be writing about this anymore. That's my sort of, I'm kind of an absolutist. I, I, I was ready to be done. And yet there, there are, are more there. There are some more, um, poems I need to revise that have my mother in them. They're not necessarily focused on her, her mental illness as much as just her more sort of regular mother daughter stuff. Although it's all colored by her illness and to me it's the things her illness made her do but you know it's it's just the differences in personality mm -hmm. i mean we all have things that affect us and change us and we can't say oh this other this other person before is the real person mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. i mean cuz that's what life is it changes us i love the title by the way uh talk smack to a hurricane is very potent it's almost brash but i'm curious how one lands at it if you're okay talking about it because i know the titles might give away some of the additional context that is needed to to get the the collection mm -hmm. um but what leads you to find a title like that mm -hmm. i it's actually the the title of one of the poems in the book and um the way that i came up with the title of the poem is that there's a line in there um storm surge in a hurricane and um me being the storm surge and so then that makes my mother the hurricane now and and the other thing about this particular poem is it relates to a few situations where my mother slapped me in the face um i can't say that was an uncommon way for people to be disciplined you know mm -hmm. it's like people who grew up and they had the switch you know that was it was common, but it it made a huge, huge, huge impression on me um, 
and not not good and so anyway so so there comes the talk smack and when you talk smack to somebody that's this whole you know <laughs> other thing so so anyway that's why i came up with that title and then in looking for something to name the collection i just kept coming back to that and there was a, a review of the book where the reviewer labeled or named all the things that she thought the hurricane was and that was really interesting to me mm. because i hadn't identified other hurricanes because she <laughs> came up with all of these sort of swirling energetic events and and named those and so that was really it was really interesting yeah and I think maybe the underlying feeling was captured by that title so well, maybe not academically or intellectually, but that felt right because of the the tenor of the whole piece. So it, it was nice that people were able to identify that. Just a couple more questions to be mindful of your time. Do you have any other projects on the horizon lined up or things that you're interested in working on now that mm -hmm. this one is complete? I'm just yesterday I, I I was thinking about that. There's a, a series I'm trying to work on about um, relating to qualities of light and 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 personifying light in a certain way. And that's a challenge because really that doesn't sound that different or, or new, but I, I'm trying to come at it from a different perspective. I started thinking yesterday, there's a phrase that seems to be thrown around a whole lot lately, liminal spaces. And, but I was thinking about the space between who, who we were and who we'll be or who we are. Just, I was thinking about this cause I was on, um, on the highway of mm. just a small space, who I was when I left home and who I'll be when I get to my destination two hours away. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm going to start playing around with that and see if I can come up with something that feels a little new. And, and then I'm really excited because I get to take another online poetry class oh, in great. January. Great. So I'm hoping that some new things will come out of that. Excellent. Excellent. Are there some works or, or things that you've read recently that really stuck with you? Or it doesn't have to be poetry necessarily, but even if mm -hmm. it's music or a show, something that has inspired you in recent days. Mm-hmm. Well, I have been really, really energized by a collection called Outskirts by Heathen. Mm -hmm. And it is phenomenal. The energy in this, it, it's, uh, it's something, it, it gave me something to feel like, oh, I want to aspire to this level of, of energy. Um, and there is a singer I was just exposed to um i could i could i could look it up i want to say um anyway she has this i don't know if she goes by she or they but um a new collection called um the alphabet of wrongdoing and um i i'm so sorry i can't remember her first name um but that's uh it, it's just really exceptional and sort of haunting and wonderful um really anything i i, I lately there have been just i mean so many new poetry collections that are out or coming out that are very exciting i i really um 
I really, really um, love the um, poet Gabrielle Bates, and she has a collection coming out called Judas Goat. Mm-hmm. And um, and then there's um, another author I just adore, um, Jennifer Maritza McCauley. <clears throat> and she has, I have her um, a poetry collection called Scar On, Scar Off. She has um, a, a short story collection coming out next year um, from one of the big publishers. I can't think of who, but mm-hmm. anyway, that one just I'm sure is going to be stellar. So I, I'm just excited by all of the. I'm just excited by all of the um, all of the creativity and just that you know, like there's this explosion of presses and you know, and people like you doing these wonderful podcasts and. You know, you listen and you just feel so inspired by um, the creative energy. Oh, that's wonderful. Wonderful to hear. So lastly, I want to ask you about something that you would say to folks who are looking to find a good publisher uh, for their work. If they have a chapbook or a manuscript that they're looking to, to, you know, find a home for. Mm-hmm. Is there any advice for that process uh, in, for an individual who's looking to get there? And what do they have to look forward to once this process is is complete after all that hard work? Mm-hmm. I, I think as far as when you, I think in looking for a publisher, it's good to know what your goal is or goals are for your work. Do you know? Is your goal that it you know gets to as many people as possible? Is your goal that you know want it to get into you know these hands or these hands? Um, you know, and, and what your what are your personal goals? Like, is it you know it's we might as well in, admit to ego. Is it really important to you to have a traditional publisher, or would it be okay to self publish or go to a hybrid um, publisher? Um, you know where does that play in in your dreams for yourself uh, i think it's really important to have some a publisher who has a track record of being respectful of of the writers um and who you know if you care about having input in the process you know ask can i have input in the cover that is not real common at least not with the larger larger publishers so um what kinds of things do you care about? And then have those be questions you ask. Um, and then the other thing is, regardless of the size of your of your of the press you go with, there is going to be a lot of legwork required. It can be exhausting because pretty much all of us are introverts, <laughs> uh, and and you have to put yourself out there. And it's you know I'm not doing this because of what I think about me, what gives me the juice is I'm doing this for my mom mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and to reach out to people who, who might feel vulnerable or injured or, um, or, or damaged even, you know, just to say, you know, you or we can find a way to, to get past this and, and heal. Um, so it, it takes a lot of emotional work if you know and i think that would be true regardless of your of your topic because you just have to be out there connecting with people 
And whether you're doing it in person, online, through letters, I mean, you have to put your heart into it. Otherwise, it's not a connection. So, you know. Wonderful. I think that's an amazing note to end on. But Lynn, I want to thank you again for taking the time to do this. It's always such a pleasure to talk to you. And I want to thank you for your strength, for taking something that that is so difficult to talk about, for turning emotional discomfort and hurt and heartbreak into a beautiful work of art and sharing it with the world so that we can begin conversations on these very important relationships that we have with our family and how to how to keep working at them and uh, for bringing that light into the world. So it's, it's a pleasure, pleasure to talk to you. And uh, I hope we get to talk again soon. Me too, Jaime. Thank you so much. It's always, it's always great to talk with you. I hope you have a wonderful Sunday and uh, I'll be in touch on the internet. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks. Take care. Okay. Bye. Bye.